Welcome back to Love Murder Current Affairs, our show about the cases of love gone fatally wrong that are in the news right now. So some weeks on Current Affairs, we have a new case that takes up the entire show. But this week, however, we are catching up on some of the cases we've covered over the past few months, many of which have seen lots of new evidence, new suspects, and maybe some new arrests. Last week, we focused on the story of Eric Richens, a Utah man who died at the age of 39 from a drug overdose. A year after his death, his wife, Corey, was arrested for his murder. What made the case all the more shocking was the fact that Corey was taken into custody in the midst of a media tour promoting her book, Are You With Me? A children's book on grief that tells the story of a boy who lost his father. It's so wrong. Since we published, a couple additional details have come out. On the night of Eric's death, Corey told investigators that they had been celebrating closing on a new home. Investigators would later discover evidence suggesting instead that Eric had been planning to confront Corey that night and say that they could not buy the house that she wanted. Okay, guys, this house is bananas. We will post some pictures of it on our Instagram. This home was 22 thousand square feet. It's like, I mean, I know they're in Utah, but this is like something out of the reality show Sister Wives. It's a compound. I can't even begin to comprehend. I'm looking for warehousing spaces that are not even a quarter of that size for a warehouse. For a warehouse. (laughs) Yeah, it's bananas. And also it's currently under contract for $3.75 million. The earlier reported $2 million number seems to have been just what the down payment was and what the estimated renovation costs would be. What's more, the day after Eric died, Corey apparently finalized the home closing alone and upon completing the transaction, invited her friends over to the new house for a large party filled with drinking and celebration. Again, this is the day after her husband, Eric, died. Thank you for that horrifying reminder. What's even more, it seems like the ridiculously sized mansion purchase wasn't the first time that the couple had money issues. According to state records, by 2016, just three years into their marriage, Corey was stealing money and running up credit cards. In 2020, Eric learned that Corey had taken at least 100 thousand dollars from his accounts and put more than thirty thousand dollars on credit cards without his knowledge that same year she also borrowed two hundred and fifty thousand dollars using a fraudulent power of attorney on which she had forged eric's initials this is just shameless shameless there is apparently another one hundred and fifty thousand that was potentially taken by corey as well Much of the money apparently went to fuel Corey's goal of buying and flipping homes. Joanna Gaines, she is not. Another new piece of information comes from the Richens family spokesperson, Greg Scordas. Speaking with Fox News Digital, he revealed that before his death, Eric had believed that his wife was cheating on him. Still, Scordas said he hoped to keep his family together. He hoped to keep his boys in a nuclear family, and he had hoped that things would work out. And he was very much in love with his wife, even though it became fairly obvious that she was trying to undermine him professionally. And he at least suspected that she was trying to kill him at one point. 
Corey is due in court on Friday, May 19th. And I am very much looking forward to more information coming out on this case because the more stuff that comes out, it's just unbelievable. It's actually unbelievable. Next, we turn to the sad murder of beloved Detroit neurosurgeon Dr. Devin Hoover, who was found murdered in his attic crawl space in April. Immediately following the murder, authorities had said that Hoover was found wrapped in a sheet shot multiple times in the head. Recently, the Detroit Free Press and 7 Action News obtained Hoover's autopsy report, revealing new details. There were two shots fired, one from some distance and one pressed right up against his head with other forensic evidence suggesting that he may have been held down. Horrifying. So scary. After he died, he was dragged to the attic and covered with a comforter sheet and a rug. A few days after the story broke, the Detroit police took in a person of interest on an unrelated charge. Police Chief James White told reporters, We are confident that this person has information about what transpired. At that time, White also told reporters that the police believed that Hoover knew his killer but was, at that time, unwilling to give any more details about how they knew each other. Intrigue in the case just keeps piling up. According again to the Detroit Free Press, the night before Hoover's funeral on Sunday, April 30th, someone broke into Hoover's Boston Edison Historic District home. The intruders came in through the back window of the nine-bedroom, 12,800-square-foot home, but the police didn't say whether anything had been stolen or if it seemed in any way related to the murder. Police are offering a $1,000 tip for information related to the crime. Next on this current affairs catch-up, a few days ago, the Wall Street Journal published a very long, in-depth piece on the murder of Bob Lee. The piece was titled, Before His Killing, Tech Executive Bob Lee Led an Underground Life of Sex and Drugs. There are a number of salacious details relating to Lee's participation in what the Wall Street Journal calls an underground party scene featuring recreational drug use and casual sex. I mean, that just seems like historically part of San Francisco culture. It 100% is. But maybe not these drugs. According to the chief medical examiner's toxicology report, Bob died with cocaine and ketamine in his system. It's a scary combination. Still, the more salient details for the case focus on what appears to be a much more complicated relationship between Bob, his accused killer, and his accused killer's sister than previously was clear. Nima Mameni, owner of an IT consultancy, is currently being held without bail in this case. According to his attorneys, he plans to plead not guilty. The case against him, however, is fairly damning on the surface of it. The afternoon before Bob's murder, a witness overheard a conversation during which Nima confronted Bob about his sister, Kazar. Nima wanted to know if Kazar had been doing drugs or, quote, anything inappropriate at a house party that she had been at earlier with Bob. That house party took place at the apartment of a person who had previously been found guilty of felony possession of a controlled substance and who was characterized by the San Francisco standard as a drug dealer. Kazar later texted Bob, just wanted to make sure you're doing okay because I know Nima came way down hard on you. And thank you for being such a classy man handling it with class. Love you selfish pricks. That night, however, Bob went to Kazar's apartment in San Francisco's luxury Millennium Tower. Surveillance footage showed Nima arrived at the same location in a white BMW. Then, at around 2 a.m., footage shows Bob and Nima getting into Nima's car. 
That's the point at which prosecutors allege Nima drove Bob to a secluded neighborhood and stabbed him. New revelations show that this wasn't the first time Bob and Nima had had issues around women. Approximately three years earlier, Bob dated a woman that had previously been in a relationship with Nima. A mutual acquaintance of Bob, Nima, and the woman who had dated both of them said that Nima had been extremely jealous of Bob, but also in general. From the Wall Street Journal, quote, Mr. Kraft said that he recalled hanging out once with the woman and Mr. Mameni. And Mr. Mameni kept shooting him threatening glances, as if he might steal the friend away from him. Finally, Mr. Kraft said he told him, look, bro, I'm gay. I'm not a threat to you. Obviously, he had some major insecurities going on. Mission Local spoke to a half dozen sources, including former friends, ex-girlfriends, and former colleagues. And they put together a picture of 38-year-old Nima that they described as, quote, a man living on the edge, his business struggling at times, and his personal life unraveling as his drug use persisted. According to a former friend speaking on condition of anonymity, Nima's drug problem was so bad that it, quote, made him unable to reason and speak. This is one of those things where we'd say, Nima, you're cool, we love you, but you don't make full sentences. Ex-girlfriends have also accused him of verbal, emotional, and physical abuse, a charge which Nima's attorney denies. Whatever the truth about Nima, it seems that some of his concerns about his sister and Bob's relationship perhaps were not off base. According to the Wall Street Journal, a number of Bob's friends said that he and Kazar had been casually sleeping together after meeting at San Francisco Tech Social Club, The Battery. According to court documents, prosecutors say that Kazar was married, but the relationship had possibly been in jeopardy. A mutual friend interviewed by the San Francisco Standard said she believed Bob and Kazar had met in 2020. When the friend warned Bob that Kazar was married, Bob said, it doesn't seem like it matters to her because she's flirting with me. Kazar is married to Dino Elasnia, a well-known San Francisco plastic surgeon. Exactly what happened that fatal night remains to be seen. Wow. So these were three fairly significant updates to cases we've covered in the past. But the thing that struck me, Andy, was that uh, we just had that case where we talked about Dominic Dunn's old show back from 2007, I think, called Power, Privilege and Justice. And each one of these cases had people in positions of power, people with lots of money, lots of responsibility. And we still don't know exactly what happened in the case of Dr. Devin Hoover as far as who is the person of interest. But it looks like no matter how much money or power you have, you are not immune to situations of the heart that might end up getting you in trouble. For sure. I... I'm very not comfortable with the fact that the doctor's case is still this open. Yeah, my guess would be that they are keeping some things close to the vest while they That's close what in on the person of interest. So hopefully they will be able to release some new information soon. And we will definitely be continuing to keep you updated on all three of these very interesting and very tragic cases. Until next time, I'm Jesse Prey. And I'm Andy Cassette, signing off for Love Murder Current Affairs. <laughs>